I appreciate that. Uh, I know you, you preached that. You know. It is good to see you. And let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. And we are really glad that you're here. Hopefully some more of our Sunday school will be coming in with um, several people out. So take note of who's not around you and make sure you contact them if they don't show up between now and the, and the start of the service. But uh, we're glad you're here. Um, if you would look in your worship guide, there's a couple things that are important for you to take note of. Um, on the announcement page, new Discipleship University class starts this Wednesday night. Um, Dr. Fuller will be teaching the first six chapters of Daniel. Um, he's been here before, does a great job. And so it'll be in the big room in this building. Um, we'll have signs pointing the way. So just make sure it's in um, Robert Miner's Sunday School classroom, that he's, he's in the teacher in that classroom. So it'll be there. Um, the picnic is coming up. You'll see the information about it. Also Fall Festival and the backpack. So let's make sure that we take care of those things and we're looking forward to it. The picnic, I hope that you'll make plans to come to that. It's just we provide the hamburgers and hot dogs and basically just hang out. The kids can play um, and parents get to know each other and just talk. And we're going to have cornhole and other things like that for you to, to be able to spend some time just as a church fellowshipping together. So make plans to be a part of that. But are you ready to worship today? Well, this is, you can stay in your seat Sunday, okay? I'm not going to make you move it today um, because Betty's birthday is tomorrow. She, man, you must have been good. You got flowers and I know Jimmy didn't give those to you today, so, um, but happy birthday tomorrow and um, I think Miss Kathy's birthday is today. Happy birthday to you and happy birthday to anybody else. I didn't look at the rest of the names, but let's stand up and greet each other before I get in trouble. God, I'm glad you're here. Greet one another. Well, all right. You be seated. It really is good to, um, to see all of you. Instead of our normal call to worship, um, I want to read one to you today. Um, I just, I read this passage yesterday, and, um, and I just think it would be a great, a great way to remind ourselves of who we're worshiping today. It's, it's out of 1 Chronicles 29, starting with verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembling, assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory 
and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the word of the Lord. I just wanted you to be reminded as we come to worship today who it is that we're worshiping as we sing, as we read the scriptures, as we come to the word and, and, and I preach and you listen and we apply. Even as we get a chance to give, as we're walking out, all those things, we, we give to the one who is the king of kings. Amen. I just remind you that, that what we're doing, Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. And we've been doing that. Someone asked me um, from a, um, the first service, why are we reading these random passages of Scripture? And I said, you obviously didn't listen the first week. And so um, it's not random. We're taking a passage of Scripture out of each book of the Bible and trying to read just certain portions of that so that we can be reminded what the entire book says. And so um, who's reading Scripture today? Come on, Jonathan, come read it for us. Through 20. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, be, he will quiet you by his love. He will exult you over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's continue to worship, church. Let's stand. I love that phrase, how he sings over us. So as we sing to him, let's hear his voice as he also sings over us.
nobody but Jesus who pulled me out of that pit. He did, he did, who paid for all of our sin. Nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave. Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise. Nobody but
song father that because of your victory on the cross father everything that we go through in this life every trial every suffering father we have already won because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and father we want to praise you and lift your name high father today I thank you that you are our hope you are our living hope and father we cling to you in every circumstance. Father, thank you for what you're gonna do in this place today. We love you. We wanna sing your praises, Father. We want to simply be at your feet as we love on you this morning, in Jesus' name.
pray together. Our Father, we come before you in the name of our living hope. We come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. And we come before you by your Spirit, through your cross, by your grace, through the victory won for us. We praise you. And God, we thank you 
for the victory won that we might be able to come and worship you today. That we might be able to have hope in the most difficult of times. Even as we study today, that we might know that you are God who is working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Father, we lift up those who are struggling today. I pray for Frank and Cynthia as Frank is going through cancer treatments. We ask God that you be with him. I lift up Ren Wheeler to you, God, as he begins some new therapy and new treatments. And we just pray for him and his family. God, we just ask for your healing. We pray for Leon Black as he continues to battle with treatments for cancer. And God, we just ask that you'd watch over him. And for Ronnie, as he not only deals with the loss of his wife, but now the loss of his mother, God, we just pray that you would comfort him and strengthen the foster family. There are many other ones, Lord, I know that I've missed today. We just lift them to you and ask, Father, that you would hear the hearts of your people as they express them to you. I wonder if just for a moment, if you would just lift up whatever it is that's on your heart right now. Whatever need it is that you have, would you lift it before the Father? And would you especially pray for those in your family, those that you work with, those in your neighborhood who are lost. Would you just pray, lift their names. God, would you hear these names? We ask that you would save them. We ask that you would bring prodigals back, that you would bring the lost to come to know you. Thank you, Father. We we lift up these needs and know that you are more concerned about them than we are. We lift up those we love and know that you love them more than we could. So we trust you no matter what. We trust you and ask that you would work in this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to come to the book of James. Um, we're in the last few chapter, last few verses. Um, in your outline, it says verses 10 through 11, but we're going to look at 10 through 12. Um, on Thursday, I just really felt led to, to um, include verse 12 in this morning's sermon. And, um, and so we will spend two more weeks, it looks like, in the, in the book of, of James, maybe three, but two more at least. And, um, so James chapter 5, starting with verse, um, starting with verse 10. If you're able, um, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. James says, as an example, now he's just told us to be patient in the midst of suffering. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, my sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. Let your no be no. 
so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So as we saw a couple weeks ago in chapter 5, starting in verses 1 through 6, James stops doing what he's been doing, which he's been talking primarily just to the church. And and we saw that in chapter 1, that that he's writing to the dispersed Jews, the the Jewish Christians who have been persecuted and scattered. And and so he's been writing to them, and then all of a sudden he he turns around and he writes to a group of people who, who are just called the rich. Most likely they are the wealthy outside of the church who are persecuting those inside the church. I, think, I don't think I've said this, but it's very highly likely that it's the Sadducees and the Pharisees who are, who are persecuting the church because they are now Christians, Jewish Christians. And so James turns around and after telling us about them, he tells us in verse 7, he starts telling us how to react to the suffering. How do we respond to suffering and oppression and persecution? When it comes our way, how do we respond? It's it's amazing to see again that James comes full circle. He starts in chapter one after the introduction in verses two through four. He tells us to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And he goes on and then eventually says, if you lack wisdom, pray for it. And so he comes right back to that. He's telling us how to deal with the suffering that comes in our life. And if you remember last week, we saw three things. He says, we need to be patient when we suffer, when we're persecuted, be patient, be ready because Jesus is coming again. Be patient till his coming, be ready for his coming. And because he is coming, be holy. So be patient, be ready, be holy. And from that, we walk into this. And, and really, if we'd had time last week, we would have just put all this together because, because he gives us two examples of how we're patient, ready, and holy. That's what he's doing in our text today. He's he's giving us an example of how to live what he's just told us to do. Real simple outline. Somebody's already pointed out in both services how short the outline is. And and unfortunately, sometimes when the outline's real short, the sermon's long, but not today, okay? Not today. And I'm actually going to give you a third point that won't be on the screen because I did add verse 12. So just be ready. Here it is. Two examples. I'll just go ahead and give them to you, and you can have the outline filled and just take notes and listen, okay? The example of the prophets— and you're already smart, you've already done it, the example of Job, okay? The example of the prophets and the example of Job. Now we can just look at the scriptures and study what he's saying, the prophets. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he's talking about their suffering. He's talking about the Christian's need for patience. And he turns around and he reminds us of a group of people who suffered for speaking in the name of the Lord. I want you to see it. The prophets suffered for speaking and living holy lives in the name of the Lord. In the Old Testament, you had three main groups of people that the Bible deals with. You had the kings, you have the priests, and you have the prophets. James deals with the prophets today, but, but the priests were those who represented, and here's the way to understand it, the priests were those who represented the people before God, okay? So if you think about priests, they represented the people before God. 
They were the ones who offered intercession continually. They continually worshiped in the temple. Tomorrow is the day of atonement. It's the official day of atonement, Yom Kippur. It is that day that, that the high priest would enter into the holy place. And, and they celebrate that tomorrow, though the holy place has already been entered by the high priest, Jesus. But they celebrated. The priest would go on behalf of the people. And he would make the sacrifices. They would make the sacrifices on behalf of the people. So priests represented the people before God. But the prophets, the prophets represented God before the people. That's the best way to understand it. The prophets were ones who represented God before the people. Scott McKnight said their work was multi-layered. It involved actions, speaking, and advising. Those three things, action, speaking, advising, mainly preaching. They would come on the scene and preach, and they were, they were just a wild bunch of people if you look at them in the Scriptures. They did things that, that we would now think about locking somebody up sometimes, and you can just read some of the things Isaiah and Ezekiel did. But they would go before the kings. They would go before the people. They would even go like Jonah into, into Gentile land and, and enemy land and preach the gospel and confront sin. Because they were always preaching truth and always confronting sin, their message was rarely accepted and even more rarely appreciated. So look at what James is doing. He's taking a group of Christians who are suffering because of their faith, suffering because they were standing and doing and following God, and they shows an example of people who suffered for God throughout the Old Testament. James holds before us prophets who suffered because they served God, prophets who suffered because they lived holy lives, prophets who suffered because they lived as light in the midst of darkness. You and I are called to serve God, to live holy lives, and to live as light in the midst of darkness. And we do that knowing that the world will not always accept us and they will rarely appreciate us. The world tends, when confronted with the message of the cross, to do one or two things. When the church preaches the cross and lifts up the cross of Jesus, the world tends to take up the cross and follow Jesus with us, or take up a hammer and try to nail you to the cross. They either accept Jesus, or for the most part, they reject Jesus, and just like the prophets, and just like the book of James with the early prophets. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us what we, we call the faith hall of fame. You can go back and read it if you haven't, and just go through Hebrews 11 and see all these great people of the faith. But at the end of that chapter, in Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 38, we find these words. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. Look at those words. Look at them on the screen. That's the prophets. That's the life they lived. Daniel thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the, to the fiery furnace. Isaiah 
Isaiah tradition says is the one that we see there um, where verse 37, they were sawn in two. Tradition says that Manasseh, that evil king, put Isaiah in a log and had him sawn in half. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you just read that book. He was beaten. He was put into stocks. He was sentenced to death. They threw him into muddy pits and and, 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 in the bottom of a cistern for preaching the truth. Elijah, we'll study next week and and, in the next couple of weeks. He, he He did mighty things, but Jezebel, the wicked queen, came after him and tried to kill him. I could go on and on, but it's no wonder. It's no wonder that Stephen, one of the first deacons from Acts 6, comes in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, and says to them, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Which of the prophets did they not persecute? They persecuted them all. The only ones they typically honored were the false prophets. Then Jesus confronts them because later they they come back and and build monuments to the prophets that they killed. They were persecuted. The key to, to this is understanding that the prophets were being persecuted for representing God to the people. They were coming as God's people, and they were living the life and calling people to live the life. And and, and the early Christians that James is writing to, they they were persecuted by the Jewish leaders for saying that Jesus was God, for saying that Jesus was the Messiah. They tried to kill him for that. They were also persecuted by the Romans for saying that Jesus is Lord. And, And not only that he's Lord, that only Jesus is Lord. So they wouldn't say that Caesar was Lord. Because how can Caesar be Lord if Jesus is Lord? They served God and they suffered. They suffered and as a result, they were patient and they waited on God. Listen to what Hebrews eleven sixteen says. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Why did the prophets live that way? Why did the the great men and women of the scriptures suffer such? They desired a better place. Their eyes were not set on this world. Their eyes were not set on the things of earth. Their eyes were set on a city that was to come, heaven. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm afraid in in this political culture in which we live, the church has forgotten that we will be persecuted. We somehow think we shouldn't be persecuted. We somehow think that it's a horrible thing. And listen, it is horrible, but it is just to be expected. Jesus says in these words, and the scriptures teach, that when you follow Jesus in this world, people will persecute you. They will oppress you because of your faith. And so when when 200 students are are baptized at Auburn and, and, and people come against it and begin to write letters, I don't get outraged by that. Why would I not expect the world to be mad that believers are being baptized? Of course they are. 
Of course they come after us. Now, I think they ought to have the right to be baptized, and I'm glad our governor, if you hadn't read the letter she wrote, she put those people in place. I'm glad she did that, but understand this. Even if she didn't, even if we lived in another place, why are we surprised when Jesus says this? That you're blessed when you're persecuted. That you are to rejoice when you suffer. We must turn our eyes to the kingdom. We're to be kingdom people. We're to be people who turn our eyes to the beloved son. Yes, we'll suffer. We'll suffer because we're being righteous. Peter says, don't suffer because you're evil. But if you suffer because you're righteous, it's a good thing. Expect it and embrace it and be patient in it until the Lord's coming. We learn from the coming of the prophet. The prophets, we turn from there to the example of Job. Now, let's be real honest. We don't like Job. Not Job himself, the book. We don't like that book. We don't want that book to be brought up, do we? Well, James, why do you got to bring Job into it? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're, you're about to see. I want you to turn back to the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, turn back. If you get to the middle of Psalms, turn left, and there it is, Job. Look at Job chapter 1. I want you to walk through this with me and see what we learn. Our text says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The prophets were held in high honor because they were steadfast. And Job says, he says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What can we learn about Job? Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned from evil. That's Job. He is not a wicked man. He was an upright man. He was a righteous man. If you look in the next verse, he was a rich man. He was rich in family, seven sons and three daughters. He was rich in possessions. If you look in verse 3, he possessed 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and, 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 and very many servants. And so look at what it says in verse 3. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. He was, he was rich. He was rich in family. He was rich in possessions. He was, he was a man who sought after God. He was faithful. Look at verses four and five. This, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house, each one on his day. And, and so these seven sons would have seven different feasts and they would invite their three sisters to come and eat and drink with them. Look at verse five. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would set and send and consecrate them and, and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. One for each of his children for Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job was faithful. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to his family. But if you look at the next verses, Satan comes and, and he comes before God and he's held accountable before God. And, and he says, God says, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, he wouldn't be that way if you take the hedge of protection off of him. You and I have no idea how good we have it in life because of the hedge that's around us. 
We have no idea what it would be like if God just pulled his hand away from us of protection. So Job, Job is accused by, by Satan, and, and God allows the heads to be removed. In verses 13 through 19, there are four blows that come to Job. Four major gut-wrenching blows that happen. Boom, 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 boom. First, his oxen and servants are stolen, and they can be replaced. Fire comes from heaven, secondly, and burns up sheep and servants. The sheep can be replaced, but the servants can't. Camels are stolen, third. And then fourthly, his children are eating together, and a storm comes, and they're all killed in a storm. All killed in the storm, all at the same time, one after another. How does Job respond? I want you to look at verse 20. The Bible says, Job 1.20, then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground. Now we stop right there. That's all normal. That's grief. The shaving of the head, the tearing of the robe were expressions of grief in their age, in their day. But this is, this is what gets me. Fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What happens? Well, it's not over. Satan comes back. And he accuses Job again, and, or excuses um, Job before God again. And, and he basically says this, yes, he, he didn't curse me, curse you, but, but you let me have his flesh. Skin for skin, you let me have his flesh. He'll curse you. And so God allows Job to come after him, or Satan to come after Job. Sores and boils from his head to his feet. Literally sitting in an ash heap, scraping himself with pieces of pottery, and his three friends show up. <laughs> they were friends to start with. They, they were just silent as, as we should be in a case like this. There's nothing to say to someone like this. Just be with them. And, and they're with Job, and they're mourning with Job, and then they begin to accuse Job. And they continue to accuse Job all the way through. And, 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 and even his wife... Even Job's wife comes, the Bible says, and says, why don't you just curse God and die? How about that for encouragement? And here's Job. Now, I want you to get this. If you read through Job today and go back, and if it interests you, he does express his misery. And well, you can and should. He does confront the advice of his friends, and he should have. He does question God. He's confused by what's going on. We have the first chapter and the first two chapters. We know what happens in those first verses. Job didn't know why this was happening. He just knows that everything's great. He's faithful to God and all of a sudden, boom, he's being attacked with everything. He's lost it all. But he doesn't turn from God. Job is steadfast. He, he cries out in confusion, but he doesn't turn from God. If you go to the scriptures and you see the friends and all the, the debate going back and forth with his friends, and then you come to chapter 38, and God answers from the whirlwind. Now, I've had somebody tell me one time, I don't like the God of the whirlwind. I do. I love the God of the whirlwind because 
I want to tell you, if, if suffering had no purpose, I couldn't endure it. If the agonies we go through in this life had no purpose and no plan and no glory, To this, the God of the whirlwind begins to question Job. If you notice that God is questioning him, 41 questions and 41 verses of questions in chapter 38. 30 questions, 30 verses of questions in chapter 39. And the Lord said to Job, chapter 40, verse 2, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And look what Job answered. He said in verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice. I will, not proceed, I will proceed no further. So God starts asking questions again. Look at verse 7. Dress for action like a man. I'll question you. You make it known to me. For 24 verses, he continues. And then chapter 41, for 34 verses, he continues. And then in verse 42, Job is a changed man. If you don't get anything out of the book of Job, you've got to see this. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered, I did not understand. Things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. Hear and speak, I will question you and make it known to me. And then he says in verse five, this is Job. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard of you, but now... But now, 40 chapters later, but now my eye sees you. Job's changed. His relationship with God has changed. I heard of you, but now I see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now you go on to read, starting in verse 5 and following, verse 6 and following, God turns to Job's three friends and he chastises them. He chastises them for the way they dealt with a man in grief. And he says, Job spoke rightly of me. Get that. Job spoke rightly of me. And then he says to the three friends, you ask this man to pray for you. And so he does. God does restore Job. He restores his riches. He restores his fortunes. He even restores his children. Not the children he lost, but new children. But understand this. When Job said, but now my eye sees you, R. Kent Hughes said it this way. He was still on the garbage heap. He was still covered with running sores. Flies were still feeding on him. His wife still loathed him. His possessions were still gone. His children were still dead. But he, get this, he had been infinitely blessed. Job, in the midst of all of that, had been infinitely blessed. For Job saw God as he has never seen God before. When we look at Job's life, when we study the life of Job, it's hard to see why James would say about Job how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, isn't it? 
It's hard to see the compassion and the mercy in this, but we got to make sure that we understand, yes, Job is restored, but, but understand this, the restoration of Job is secondary. The possessions that come back and even the children that he gains are secondary to this, that through his suffering, he has a new view of God. Through the suffering of Job, he has a new view of God. And I think Job could understand why James would say, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness leads to our being mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Originally, I had intended to stop at that text, but I kept looking at verse 12. And I think we just have to see how it all connects. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, my sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What's he saying? The prophets were persecuted for what they said. Job is studied on the basis of what he said. Job's friends are studied on the basis of what they said. Job's wife is studied on the basis of what she said. The whirlwind God is studied on the basis of what he said. Here's what he's saying, I think. Job, Job, Job is commended because he keeps searching and he keeps praying and he never loses sight of God. The prophets keep preaching and they keep serving and they never lose sight of God. And here's what I think, third point for you, be faithful in what you say. Be faithful in what you say. Live in such a way that you don't have to say, I swear this is true. Live in such a way that you don't have to step back and say, I swear on a stack of Bibles. What does that even mean? I promise on my mama's grave. What? I love this one. You're in church, don't lie. So you can lie out there, but not in here. No, James says, be faithful in what you say. Be like the prophets. Be faithful in what you speak. Be like Job and be faithful in what you say about God. Be most of all like Jesus. Ray Pritchett, I love to go to him for just application. He said this. He said, this is what's true of Jesus. He never cursed, but he was cursed by God the Father. He became a curse for a cursed race. He who never sinned became sin for us. He who never blasphemed was treated as a blasphemer for us. He died for the murderers who murdered him. Be like Jesus. No matter what may come, suffering, persecution, oppression, be faithful. Now listen, I don't want to lose everything. I don't want to lose my wife. I can't bear to think losing a child or grandchild. My daughter, our daughter Holly is working in a pediatric intensive care unit with children in Vanderbilt Hospital and 
One shift, they lost two children. This shift this week, they lost a two-year-old. I can't bear that. I can't bear to think what it would be like. I don't want to face the sufferings of Job. I don't want to face the sufferings the prophets suffered. I'm often thankful that I live where I live. I, I, I don't want to face what some of my brothers in China are facing. But what if, what if you could suffer all those things and see God? What if God will use the sufferings in our life, even the trials, to make us more like Christ? You see why he says of God, he is merciful and compassionate. He's making us more like Jesus. He's preparing us for a place. He's preparing us for a better city. One day we will see his face. One day we will worship him forever. Last week I quoted from C.S. Lewis, so let me go to one of his good buddies, J.R. Tolkien. If you've probably, many of you may have seen The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, and, and they're good, but take the time to read the book. Now, it's about that thick, but read the book. And at the end of the book, Tolkien's describing what has happened. The whole story is about two little hobbits named Frodo and Sam who are trying to destroy the ring of power to save the world. And finally, the ring has been destroyed. They've been rescued. We think that they're going to die, but they've been rescued. And, and Sam the faithful partner of Frodo, Sam wakes up and he sees Gandalf. And Gandalf to me is a Christ figure in the story. He sees Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. And he said this, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to this world? And Gandalf responded, a great shadow has departed. And Tolkien says, and then he laughed. And the sound of that laugh was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? In a sense. In a sense. All that you suffer. One day, you will stand glorified before God. We have our struggles, but one day we will stand before him. And it will be, listen to me carefully, as if everything sad is untrue. Why? Why as if? Hindsight is, is 2020, my daddy always said, and hindsight makes things clear. Can you imagine? We talked about it a little bit last week, but can you imagine standing before the presence of God and glorified and looking back over your life? Looking back over the life on earth, 
standing in the presence of Jesus and looking back on the suffering and knowing that even though we could not understand the sufferings that we've endured, that there was purpose, that God is moving through the suffering and he's acting with compassion and he's acting with mercy even in the hardest of times because there's a plan for us and there's a purpose for us and there is a desire of our Father to be like Jesus. And church, you know in the physical realm as well as the spiritual realm, we learn best through suffering. We don't want to learn that way. We wish the whole Christian life could be Disney World, but it's not. There's grief and there's agony and there's pain, but just like there's that, there's plan and purpose and desire, and we get to worship that God who's moving in our life conforming us into the image of Christ. Listen to me, church. You can trust the God of the Bible. He's not a God that just lets you suffer for the pure joy of it. He's not a God of the happenstance. Just read with a group of guys. He is a God that nothing's ever occurred to him. Think about that. God's never said, huh. Huh, I never thought of that. God is moving in our life from birth to death. We can trust a God who saw us in our sin and sent his son to live among us. We can trust a God who is the God-man, lived among us and walked through this life and lived perfectly because we could not live perfectly. And then when he hung on the cross and died in our place, that same Father, we can trust a God who will take him who knew no sin and make him to be sin on our behalf so that we can be righteous. You can trust God with your suffering. You can trust God with your pain. You can trust God with the hardships. You can trust God with the joys. You can trust God because we know that it is not just preacher taught when Paul says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's Bible truth that we can bank on. Amen? I wonder if you bow your heads for a moment. I want you to hear me as I ask you to bow as we get ready to sing. I'm not making light of your suffering. Some of you have suffered in ways I've never suffered. I'm not writing it off. I'm not just saying don't worry about it. Some of you suffered at the hands of people you should have never suffered from. I don't understand it. I can't explain it except we live in a sinful world. And that God will even use that for his glory and your glory if you will let him. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, God, God can use it. 
you'll notice God allowed Job to attack. God allowed Satan to attack Job. But even the devil was restrained. God has you. He will not test you beyond anything that you can endure. His view of endurance and ours are different. But he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure. He will provide ways of escape. He will show you. And even if that means we go to glory, he, he is to be trusted. Why am I saying this? Because I believe, I believe persecutions will intensify in the church. And I believe the tribulations are coming. And the church had better be ready to trust the Lord in the sufferings. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters here. Some of whom have suffered in ways I cannot even imagine. But you can. You lost a child. You saw a son die. You've been cursed and misunderstood and treated as if you didn't even exist. You understand more than we could ever imagine. And you were working in us to bring us to a crown of glory. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for all of us that we would trust you. On the mountaintops, yes. But also through the valley of the shadow of death. May we trust you and live faithfully and steadfastly. Bless this time. Help us. Just as you sit there for just one moment before we sing. It may mean that you need some prayer. You may need to come see me this week and the next couple of weeks and let's talk through some things. It may mean that you just need to come and kneel for a while and, and give some things back to the Lord. I'm not convinced we'll ever understand it all. I'm pretty sure we won't until we get to the other side. But trust him now. He's a good, good father. His ways are not ours, but trust him. If you need to come to before the Lord today, we give you a chance to respond. God bless this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. I'm here. Tim's here. We'll be here to help you in any way we can. Come and see us.
I wish I could give you answers. The first funeral I did as a pastor was a teenage boy who committed suicide. stood by that casket with that mom and dad and I couldn't give him answers and I still can't find answers I don't know why babies die I don't know why old people who are evil live long but I know who knows so I don't make light of the pain and the grief there it's not a cemetery in this town that I've not grieved with you over loss. I just know somehow everything sad is going to come untrue. So let's just keep being patient. And let's be ready. And let's be holy. Amen? Next week, we get into praying for the sick, and we get into Elijah, and we got more weeks, and some good stuff's there. But this is good. It answers our heartache sometimes, and I just know I don't serve a God like the Greek mythology. I serve a God on purpose who gave us his son. I love you. Praying for you. And I'm here for you if you need me. And right afterwards, guest, I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you. And if you need anything, members, I'm there for you too. But let me talk to the guests first. And let's just bow our heads. Um, Nick, do we have the blessing, um, the benediction? Is it there? I don't have my. There it is. Um, let me just read this for you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Our shows will be at the door. Please, before you leave, listen to me. You just don't know what the people around you are going through. Be kind and be loving and just take for a moment to pour into them just before you put up the chairs just greet somebody and let them know you're there if they need you thank you for being here God bless you